Well, I'm going to start my preach this morning by getting my uh, request for your forgiveness in as early as possible. Um, I apologise that it's only three Sundays since my last reference to football in my sermon. Um, though, for those of you of a black and white persuasion as opposed to the red side of Nottingham, uh, you'll be glad that it's uh, more to you that I'm going to refer today. One person here is nodding sagely. Um, and not just to even things up a bit, there is good reason to, uh, to do that. Um, yesterday, of course, as Aaron knows only too well, um, it was an extraordinary um, nail-biting triumph for Notts County in the playoffs to go into Division 2. Um, so the Magpies can now refer to them once ag- themselves once again as the oldest football league club in the world. Um, But my reference to them this morning is more a consequence of where they played yesterday and some of the symbolism of that place rather than what they actually achieved, wonderful as it was. Because I'm pretty sure that whether you are a passionate football fan or whether, quite frankly, you loathe the game and want nothing to do with it at all, you are likely to know that at um, the same Wembley Stadium at which County won yesterday, whenever there is uh, the annual FA Cup final each, well, it's now June, it used to be May, didn't it? But um, May or June, before every FA Cup final, the crowd joins together traditionally to sing the great hymn, Abide With Me. Abide, to abide, it isn't really a word we seem to have much use for these days in our ordinary day-to-day conversation. You wouldn't say, for instance, oh, just just abide here for a moment, I'm just popping out to the newsagents, or, um, oh yeah, I was abiding on the platform with her as we waited for the train. It doesn't sort of work like that, does it? And actually, I'm in, in, in a way, I'm at risk of undermining the point that I'm trying to make because in our new international uh, version translation of the Bible that we use in our group services, um, that translation doesn't actually use the word abide in our passage this morning either. And that's in common, to be honest, having checked with most contemporary or relatively contemporary Um, English translations of this passage. But if we were to return all the way to the King James Version, to 1611, uh, there we will find the following. Chapter 14, verse 16, that Richard has just read to us. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you. Forever. To abide with. It has a, a sense of permanence, I think, doesn't it? Of sort of settledness, of solidarity, of, of commitment, personal commitment. To abide with. To dwell with. More prosaically, to live with. And in our rather uh, expanded upon um, NIV translation, to help and be with. 
Jesus promises his disciples in this passage. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Who is Jesus talking about? Why is he saying this to his disciples? And what is the context of him telling them this? Our passage this morning is just after the start of an extremely long discourse by Jesus to his disciples. The whole of John's Gospel is 21 chapters. This discourse, part of St John's narrative of the Last Supper between Jesus and his disciples, his closest followers. This discourse takes up 20, excuse me, it takes up four chapters of the 21 in John's Gospel as a whole. So it's 20% of, uh, of the whole of Jesus's life in this one scene. So you can get an indication of just how important to the message that St John wants to convey about who Jesus is and, um, and who he calls us to be. How important this passage is to that intention of John. The group is in Jerusalem for the Passover, for the, um, for the most important Jewish religious festival, celebrating the exodus of um, the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Jesus has already um, doubly shocked his disciples in the preceding chapter. First of all, he washes their feet, the act of a servant, not of a leader in the common understanding uh, of what a leader would do in those times, most definitely. So firstly, he does that. And then he talks about his impending departure from them, his impending death. And then in the first few verses of chapter 14, um, he audaciously declares to them that it's through belief in him alone that those listening there and we now are able to be reconciled, to be reunited with our Heavenly Father, his Heavenly Father, now and in all eternity. So that's the context for this morning's passage and its opening verses. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. Or to abide with you if you wish. To help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. In the midst of all the uncertainty of his words just spoken about his impending death, Jesus reassures his followers. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. He reassures his followers that he'll ask his heavenly father to give them, if you like, another him, another Jesus. But first in this complex passage that seems to weave in and out of itself, it, it, it sort of turns back round, doubles uh, back on itself time and again. It refers to what's gone before and then it looks forward to what's coming after. First in this complex passage, Jesus gives his disciples two instructions. 
If you love me, keep my commands. That is, first, love me. And then consequently, keep my commands. That's mirrored near the end of our reading as well by a second passage in verse 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So between them, these two statements um, made by Jesus to his disciples, they sort of bookend um, the relationship that he articulates between love and obedience in reciprocal ways. So on the one hand, loving Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. And then on the other hand, obedience is a sign of our love for Jesus. Two sides to the same coin, if you like. So for the disciples then, and for us now, we're therefore called to show our love for Jesus by faithfully obeying his commands. There was a uh, quite a famous um, uh, theological book in the 1990s called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And the author of this book, a, uh, a chap by the name of Brennan Manning, he wrote uh, all too accurately uh, in that, that the greatest single cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their mouths, but deny him with their lives. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. But Jesus, however, wants to make us and all who follow him people who confess their love for him and then back up their confession, our confession, with the way we live our lives. To follow him, as Christ says, is to keep his commands. Which, of course, begs the question for us, what then are these commands that we are to ensure we do our best to follow? Throughout the Gospels, we see um, above all and uh, reflected um, in uh, Jesus's responses to questions when he's asked about this. We see particularly that Jesus com- Jesus's commands are to love God and to love our neighbour, to love one another as Jesus has loved us. But we know that, um, and it's in the, in the nature of um, who we are in, in our humanity, in our hearts, um, that we know, but we know that um, we don't love and give all of the time. But we rather desire many things of life that are unhelpful to us. Possessions, power, people and so on. How do we live our lives in a different way, keeping those commands of Jesus? Jesus thankfully gives us the answer in verse 16 of our reading. Another advocate, or as the King James Version would have it, a comforter to help us and to be with us forever. The spirit 
of truth, the Holy Spirit in whom truth resides. God in Christ, in an echo of the, uh, of the symbol of the rainbow that right back um, in Genesis chapter 8, after the, after the flood that God, through which um, God demonstrates his covenant faithfulness to humanity after the calamity of the flood, God makes his first move towards us. Yes, we're called to keep Jesus' commands, but we're also able to do that through God's Holy Spirit. Another advocate, like Jesus himself, sent to abide in us, who intercedes for us with our Heavenly Father. The word advocate, you know, it has an echo of a, of a lawyer, of a barrister, representing us, interceding for us with our Heavenly Father. That Heavenly Father who reaches out to us first through his extraordinary and infinite grace. An advocate who, uh, moreover, is the spirit of truth, enabling us to discern how we should live our lives following Christ, encouraging us when we do and convicting us equally when we don't. Christ assures his disciples not only of the presence of the Holy Spirit always with them, but moreover, as Jesus goes on to say in verse 26, just after the end of our passage, Jesus goes on to say that this spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I, Jesus, have taught you. And in keeping Jesus's commands, we in turn demonstrate that very love for Jesus that calls us to desire to follow in his ways through his Holy Spirit dwelling in us, abiding in us. We are enabled to love Christ and keep his commandments, not due to slavishness to him, but due to our love for him. So then, What does this practically mean for each one of us? I'd like to suggest there are three things that we're called to do as we seek to keep Jesus's commands. First, to keep on praying for ourselves personally and collectively, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, particularly pertinent given that we are approaching our 11 days of thy kingdom come prayer. Take advantage of that encouragement uh, in my preach to join us over the coming days in prayer. To pray whatever you wish, but particularly also to pray to be filled individually and collectively with God's Holy Spirit. The Spirit, of course, that we um, celebrate um, anointing those first followers of Jesus, that first Pentecost. The birthday of the church, as it's often referred to. And we are, um, we're called, we're exhorted by uh, St Paul 
in his letter to the Ephesians, to keep on being filled. We're all um, filled with the Holy Spirit in baptism. We're filled with the Holy Spirit um, when we make a, uh, a personal confession to God, uh, to, uh, to him, to ask Jesus to come as our Lord and Saviour into our lives. But St Paul nevertheless says, keep on praying. The sense of the, of the word is to, to be filled continually with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. So how about, maybe, perhaps try this over those days of thy kingdom come. How about starting each day as soon as you wake in prayer by asking the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh that day, enabling you to live as Jesus calls you to do, that you might yield to his work in your life and specifically in all that you encounter in that day to come. What a great way to start a day. Secondly, given Jesus' assurances to his disciples that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you, ask the Holy Spirit to do precisely this, to remind you what Jesus taught us about life in his kingdom. And we, of course, learn what Jesus taught above all through reading the scriptures, reminding us of the things of him. So as I said in the notices, why not in this season? Um, step out, uh, put your toe in the water in a, in a small group if you've never done so before. They're not scary places, I promise you. They are places of fellowship, of walking together, of sharing our faith and sharing life. It's a great opportunity to, um, to, to dive into, uh, into scripture, into all of Jesus's teachings uh, that he calls us to follow. Do come and have a word with me afterwards or drop me an email or a um, I think if you would like to explore that further, I really encourage you to take that opportunity. And thirdly, with the wisdom and the courage of the Spirit in us. And um, here I uh, slightly bring my preach uh, full circle with another sporting illusion, I'm afraid. In the words of the advertising slogan for Nike, the sports equipment manufacturer. Just do it. I encourage each one of us to be bold in our discipleship, not rash, but bold, because the Holy Spirit um, assures, or the, our Heavenly Father assures us, uh, rather, in chapter 13 of the letter uh, to the Hebrews, that he equips us with everything good that we need in order to do what he asks of us. God will never ask of us more than he enables us to do or to bear. Discerning that can be a different question, but he never asks that of us. So may we all, therefore, reassured by that and by Jesus' promise of his faithfulness to us and the presence of the Holy Spirit <coughs> abiding in us, may we step into what the Holy Spirit prompts us to do for God's kingdom. And in so doing, 
we too will then keep the commands that Jesus gives us. Loving God and loving one another as he loves us. And in so doing, helping to grow that kingdom here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your commands. Help us through opening ourselves to the presence of your Holy Spirit abiding within us to abide also in you. Make us open to the teachings of your word that we may walk more closely with you and give us your wisdom, courage and grace to step out with boldness to where you call us to share the good news of your kingdom in word and in action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.